There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Today's guest is Dot Sheehan, founder, president, and CEO of the New Hampshire-based nonprofit, Operation Hattrick. We'll be talking about her exceptional career in college athletics and sports marketing as one of the first female agents in the sports business and as someone who is focused every day on improving the lives of America's military veterans. Dot Sheehan, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, Chris. Thank you. No, thank you. Dot Sheen is a trailblazer in the sports marketing industry as the president of Sheen Sports Marketing and one of the first women to negotiate marketing contracts for professional athletes like former NBA players Rick Fox and Robert Parrish. She was the senior associate athletics director for external relations for almost 20 years at the University of New Hampshire, where she oversaw all areas involving the external public affairs at the Division I 20 Sport University. I've gotten to know Dot through our work together in the nonprofit world and met her through her role at Operation Hattrick, which supports the recovery of wounded service members and veterans through the sale of branded merchandise. Proceeds from those sales are donated to organizations that support OHT's mission and, to date, Operation Hattrick's donations top $2.3 million. Congratulations on all that success, Dot. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, who, who would have thought, right? Who would have <laughs> thunk it? Absolutely. In 2012, Dot Sheen was awarded the University of New Hampshire Alumni Association Profile of Service Award for contributions made to the university. She received the 2013 Innovators Award for her vision and work with Operation Hattrick. She's the first woman and UNH staff member to receive the award. In 2019, Sheen became only the 10th recipient of the multi-decade-old International Collegiate Licensing Association's coveted ICLA Service Award. And just last year, she was inducted into the International Collegiate Licensing Association Hall of Fame. That's one heck of a resume, Dot. <laughs> yeah. I guess you live long enough, you have all those things, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, Dot, you've obviously already had a tremendously successful career when a single event changed your course. Now, I don't believe as much in coincidence as I do in the notion that when inspiration hits, it's because for whatever reason, the right person is in the right place at the right time. And I think that's exactly what happened in 2007 when you were listening to a trivia question on a Boston radio station. What was that question and where did that lead you? Uh, the question was, what is the one thing head-wounded soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan want the most? I played along a little while, and the answer was a baseball cap. And uh, it's it, a baseball cap covers wounds, swelling, burns, treatment, all of that. And I, it was just, it so struck me that that's all they want is a baseball cap. Come on, can you just get them a baseball cap? <laughs> So Operation Hattrick is an unusual nonprofit in more ways than one, but it's in a class all its own when it comes to fundraising. How do you decide on the approach you use and how does it work? You know, it didn't work that way in the very beginning. In the very beginning, you know, in the middle of the night, I thought, well, if I did something, what would I call it, right? And in New Hampshire, we live and die by hockey. Certainly at the university, that was the case. So I said, okay, let's call it Operation Hattrick. And that could apply to hockey or it could apply to soccer or it could apply to whatever, right? And in the beginning, if a retailer wanted hats, we said you had to buy three. 
you sell to, you give one to a VA medical center where there were head wounds. And soon you had so many that they didn't know what to do with those. There was really no give back at that point. And um, somebody at the University of Notre Dame said, you really should take this national. And to do that, you need to create a business model. So we're the only ones I know of who raise money the way we do. We do that through having a royalty built into everything we sell. So if a hat costs a dollar, um, $12 at wholesale to a retailer, and it has the University of New Hampshire logo on it, we get 10% of that or $1.20. If it just has an Operation Hattrick logo and an American flag, we get 12% or $1.44. And that's how we started to build the business already built in. Manufacturer pays that price. And so we thought, wow, we'll be able to fill some critical gaps in care with royalty money. That's the money we donate out to organizations that fit our mission. So, you know, you, you kind of ask yourself, am I better off to do it this way or to take individual donations or corporate donations? Well, I wasn't quite sure during COVID what was the best way to do that because retail got hit really hard. Uh, but luckily for us, we had people that, I mean, they still bought. It was unbelievable. Well, the point about retail, you know, I think it got hit hard early on. Then all of a sudden we discovered, hey, we can everything delivered to our front door. Uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden sports started coming back on. So I think that may have helped, you know, I think it helped, hopefully helped you. Um, you know, and I've got the American flag OHT hat in my closet next to me. And I've got my, you know, my listeners know that I'm a Syracuse alum. So I've got my OHT Syracuse gear and all my, my kids do. Good boy. $1.20 a clip. And you've done $2.3 million. That's a lot of a dollar twenty. You know, there are some people who say you should be giving more. I'm like, do you know what that means? You just did that math, right? So it's like a dollar twenty a clip, two point three million dollars. Yep. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that that's hard going, really. You know, that's uh, that's basic. You know, just groundswell kind of fundraising, and it's fun. Uh, yeah, and you know, retail got hit hard, if we had not pivoted a long time ago to direct to consumer, probably would have been the end of us, right? Uh, we have a very healthy relationship with Fanatics. We have a relationship with Amazon. And that helped a whole lot because people, you know, you didn't have uh, football, let's say. You didn't have, people weren't buying tickets. They weren't parking their cars. They weren't buying food. But they still bought that collection, Salute to Service in College, that we have on Fanatics, like crazy like crazy it's amazing and it's great to hear that that sells out i know for for your for operation hat trick for the national football league and so that's just it shows to your point that the groundswell of, of patriotism and certainly during a global pandemic during 9 11 things like that we all sort of band together in that sense and so uh that's just fantastic to hear you know and you talked about university of new hampshire i mentioned syracuse you talked about notre dame that's just college how many different sports brands are you involved in different leagues yeah let's start with college again because we have over 500 schools interested or having adopted operation hattrick now some are active and some are not and we'd like more of them to be active we work at that a lot college space is where we really have a foothold uh but uh we have 21 nhl teams and uh 14 nba teams and the nba and the nhl will allow team shops like the boston garden team store to order from whomever they would like, whether that's a licensee or not. The NFL and Major League Baseball do not operate that way. They tell you who you can buy from. So we are in the Boston Garden Shop in 
with the Bruins and with the Celtics. And so, um, so yeah, uh, we have about 80 minor league baseball teams, which is really fun because their logos are really interesting. Um, we just start, we're just starting a relationship with the pro rodeo and the cowboy, um, association, which is really interesting. I don't know why my grandson said to me, why did they do that to themselves? So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they do that to themselves, but yeah, we have some interesting relationships. Now we happen to have a relationship with Sig Sauer and there are people who have a problem potentially with that because it's firearms, but they are, their corporate headquarters are here in New Hampshire and they are very good in the community. And um, we are, ha- are have an active presence on their on their e-commerce site. So we sell a lot of headwear, hopefully soon, some apparel. You mentioned the NFL and Major League Baseball tell you what to do or what you, what you can or cannot do, I should say. Is there a particular team or league that's been the most challenging to work with? Um, you know, we don't necessarily get involved with the league. We let the licensee or the team store do that. I've had multiple conversations with the NHL to get in, you know, into the NHL because we thought, listen, Operation Hattrick, it screams hockey, right? And uh, I knew I got over the hump with hockey when I spoke at a Notre Dame football luncheon the day before a Notre Dame game, right? 3,000 people at lunch, by the way, you and 3,000 of your most intimate friends. <laughs> and I, they invited me to talk about Operation Hattrick. And I thought, okay, here I am with a football crowd. And I guess I got over Operation, I, I got over hockey a little bit. So, um, so yeah, we've talked to leagues and you know, sometimes they have initiatives that are league-wide or the NHL will say, if we do a league-wide initiative, it has to be involve all 32 teams. We are in Canada and Toronto, but, you know, for like Montreal, they'd want everything put in French. So we put a hold on that. But yeah, I've got somebody who will translate it, but it's like, okay, we need to do a good job in the United States first before. And then the giving Canadian versus U.S. Um, so, so yeah, um, the leagues have been really good to us. And it might be the team store. It might be events. It might not be le- a league-wide initiative because they already have theirs, whether it's breast cancer awareness or a green initiative or whatever. How many organizations and how many states benefit or or have benefited from Operation Hat Trick donations? We've given to over 80 organizations and we're in 36 states. Our goal is to be in all 50. And so you can say, what does it mean to be in a state? That means we give to an organization in a particular state. Of course, if we give to the Travis Mills Foundation in Maine and we um, pay for a week for 40 people to come and have, um, you know, uh, for recalibrated veterans and their families to come. Some of them are going to be from San Diego or wherever. But yeah, um, 36 states right now. We worried about Alaska, quite frankly, like, oh, what are we going to do in Alaska? How are we going to handle Alaska? And Alaska has proven very interesting because we support eight warrior ice hockey teams. And we have a corporate partner. And um, the thing they need most is ice time. It's about $500 for a lot of these teams and they can't afford it. And if they can't afford to get on the ice, there's no connection, there's no resilience, that stress and anxiety build up. Getting on the ice provides a whole new world for these guys. So between Red River, the Red River Foundation uh, out of New Hampshire and all, they have offices all over, um, we provide ice time. And somebody said, that's so simple. Yeah, it's so simple. 
Absolutely it is, right? And we are present in Alaska. There's a UNH former hockey player, a woman who has a business up there, led us to uh, challenge Alaska. So that was that problem was solved with Alaska. The last time we talked, I was fascinated by your observation that what Operation Hattrick does really well is connect with and donate to local causes. And then you shared some amazing stories. Yeah. Well, I want you to well, share some of those stories with our audience. And I'm just going to name the organization, community, okay. or state, and you take it from there if that's okay. Okay. That's great. We'll start off with Duluth. Yeah, Duluth, Minnesota. That's really an interesting one. Um, we had a UNH field hockey player and a men's ice hockey player who were left. He was from Wisconsin. She was from New Hampshire. And uh, she moved to Duluth to be with him. And he liked Operation Hattrick. And he did a fundraiser on his own, which was terrific. She worked for the NBC CBS affiliate up there. And she wanted to do a promotion. And she would do a hat, put it on TV, sell it. Uh, we included the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, the ice hockey team that has won a couple of Frozen Fours. And they would give us X amount of dollars. And we'd triple that and give it back to the Minnesota Council for Veterans, the uh, MACV Alliance, and it's for the homeless population. And uh, we've done that for a, we did that for a couple of years. And we were told that our impact was that we helped bring the homeless population down to four. Four. Now, I always say this, and I don't mean it negatively or disrespectfully. Not many people are lined up to give money in Duluth, Minnesota. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it, and it's, I mean, they have been absolutely fabulous. So, of course, it didn't happen during COVID. And now uh, the supply chain and hats, that was difficult. So we have partnered with the Duluth Pack Company, and they are right in Duluth. And they are older than white bread and penicillin. And they are the Yeti of backpacks. I mean, packs are unbelievable. So we've got a line of about 10 items that um, are now on their website and we promote it and uh, people are ordering. I can't get, wait to get my order. And so we're going to turn that, you know, some of those proceeds back into to Duluth so we can continue to support that cause. Next up, North Carolina. Yeah, uh, was that the um, Veterans Healing Farm? Probably, yes. yes. Uh, this young man was written up in People Magazine, actually. He's an Air Force um, retiree. And so we reached out to him and he said, wow. He said, your hair is great. Now, mind you, his hair was out there. But during COVID, who cared? Right. And so he's got <laughs> nine acres and he raises kale and lettuce, probably the finest you can raise. And he feeds people with that. Now, he's got veterans who come and um, he's got he's off the grid. So he's got room for about eight or nine guys to live there or sleep there and they rotate. And these guys might have post-traumatic stress and they might want to do something like raise food, you know, grow food. He also raises flowers. He raises uh, he does beekeeping. And I think he makes his money through medicinal oils and all of that. But he didn't have a, an irrigation system or a golf cart that some of these guys can't walk the nine acres. And he said, I'm hauling water. And if I didn't have to haul water, I would be able to feed more people. Another basic, basic need. He's feeding people, right? So, you know, we went to the board and we said, we want to fund both of those things. I think he almost fell over, quite frankly. 
And so he found a heck of a deal on an irrigation system. This was just going to make his life so much easier and so much better for veterans he was feeding. Brazos Valley Cares. Yeah. Uh, Texas, it's a part of Texas A&M, uh, right there on College Station. And Texas A&M, they were interesting. They took about three years to come on board. They wanted to make sure that we were legitimate, that we were around for a while, that we had created a brand. And they said when they came on board, they would do it like nobody else. Well, they were right. They do. They're just terrific. And we have a program called Excellence in Service on the college level. And when colleges go over and above the call of duty on campus and off social media, advertising, marketing with Operation Hattrick, about this time of year, they uh, submit a presentation to us and we have runners up and we have a winner. And on behalf of that university, Operation Hattrick makes a cash donation to an organization that they name. And every single time it's local. So Texas A&M named Brazos Valley Cares, and that's an emergency fund. We've given a couple of times, and I remember maybe one of the first times. It wasn't much money, but they were down to their last $500. Didn't know what they were going to do to help veterans in need in the area. This year, Texas A&M won. So they won $22,500, and now they really can't even understand what they're going to do with the money. But again, you know, the last thing a school wants to hear is, I raised this money in College Station, and now I hear the proceeds went out to California. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear that it stays at home. My good friend Richard Casper at Creative Vets. Yeah, that's interesting. We have a... um, a new, fairly new board member who's a retired Marine. You never say a former Marine or they're right up in your face. Yes. And his wife is a retired Marine. And they live in Maine and they have a farm, the Full Armor Farm now. And he knew Richard Casper and he said, you know, I, I think this group is worthy of a donation. So uh, we looked at that and we saw the music side and the art side to them. And we decided for the first donation, we'd go to the music side. So, uh, and music certainly helps guys with post-traumatic stress and all of that. So we donated uh, so that 37 veterans could go to songwriting class. And so they were assigned a a country artist, depending on their talent, who they were assigned to. And they would write songs that they would get out whatever was bothering them, right? Whatever caused their mental state to be what it was. And they'd never told anybody about this. They'd never, you know, they never sang about it. They never wrote, wrote songs. I mean, some of this stuff is just gut-wrenching. They've got um, albums out there. They're really, really good. The art side is just as good. And Richard Casper is really doing a good job. Yeah, he's doing a great job. The Travis Mills Foundation, which you touched on earlier. Yeah, Travis, I'll tell you. He's a trip, this guy. Oh, my gosh, yeah. We went to, we've been at Walter Reed about six times. And uh, one time I brought my daughter, my adult daughter with me, and I'm up in a patient room and somebody says to me, Megan is crying down in the Matsy, which is the workout room where there are 60 spots for guys with amputations, right? Like I left her 15 minutes ago. What's she crying about? Well, there's a guy down there who is a quadruple amputee and he made his wrist do a 360 when she went to shake it. And made it drop on the floor. She thought she broke his wrist. So she started to cry. He thought that was hilarious. Hilarious. Well, he was going to have, he lives in Maine. He was going to have a camp 
And so she said, we got to go visit this guy. So we brought uh, a microwave. We brought fleece blankets, hats, you name it, right? And um, we said, what do you need, Travis? And he said, well, I'm going to buy property and renovate a property so that recalibrated veterans can come. So he bought the Elizabeth Arden summer property in the Belgrade Lakes in Maine, both the, um, the waterside and across the street. And he put three or four million dollars into it. And um, we support that by having an OHT week every year. We're up to 40 people, eight families come and we pay for airfare and all of that. Some of these guys will never, ever be able to take a vacation because they've been too injured. This is the only time they can get away. And their kids get to see that there are other kids who have dads just like they do. And of course, Travis will say, you know, I'm not injured anymore. I, um, I'm fine. And I just had a bad day at work. It was a Monday. I should have called in. Sounds and like he Travis. Say, I told my wife to take the baby, take the truck, take the house, take the bank account. You didn't sign up for this. She said, that's not the way it works. He said, then I find out she wants the handicap pass. <laughs> so <laughs> Travis has written, he's a best-selling author. Um, he travels all over the world speaking. He is really, you hate to say if it had to happen to anybody. He says, you may not be able to control your circumstances, but you sure can control your attitude. And that's what he's all about. Absolutely. I've saved the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center for last because your experiences there have been heartbreaking and uplifting. And a reminder that we all have a responsibility and an obligation to those men and women who have given so much in defense of our freedom. Dot, share if you would your experiences at Walter Reed with a group of young men who were double, triple, and quadruple amputees, and your experience with a young man named Kenton Stacy, who survived an explosion that left him as perhaps the most seriously injured explosive ordnance disposal specialist in the service of our country. Yeah, Walter Reed is you vow when you come out of there, you're never going to complain again. When we first went, Walter Reed had two locations. I mean, it was the old Walter Reed where it was over 100 years old. And then you went up to Bethesda and they have since joined forces, right? Um, but I brought the president of the University of New Hampshire. And when we got to Bethesda, we were joined by some U.S. senators. And the president was like, whoa, it was chaos at Walter Reed. A little more buttoned down when you get to the Navy. And uh, he said, I don't quite know what I'm going to do. Wow, this is unbelievable. That particular day, I was in group two. I was glad I was in group two because group one had to wear the hoodies, the masks, the downs, the footies, everything. And they went into a room of a young man who had, they thought he had flesh eating disease. His legs were in bad shape and they thought they would amputate both. And he had been a hockey player. And he had a severe penetrating head wound. And the father came out and uh, that group one was the president and the U.S. senators and the Hardy family. And their son is one of the Navy SEALs who dedicated Operation Hattrick to. And this kid's father said he wouldn't wear the green padded helmet that you needed to wear after brain surgery. So I was asked if we had a UNH hockey helmet. I said, yes. They said, we'll get it to this young man. I don't have a clue what his name is, right? So one of our kids went pro and we took his helmet, had it signed, sent it back to uh, Walter Reed. Didn't know what happened to it. About nine months later, I got a card from, uh, on the front was a picture of a very attractive young girl and a really handsome young man. And uh, she wrote it because he was still incapable of writing it. And it was shame. 
And she said that they cleared up the flesh-eating disease. After 22 surgeries, they did not have to amputate his legs, but the head injury was still a problem. But he got that hockey helmet. And the reason he improved to the point he had was because he thought he played hockey for the University of New Hampshire. That was like a killer, a killer. The president said, it's the most rewarding thing I've done in my entire academic career. And I usually work on the plane back home. He said, I just sat there and didn't know what to do, right? I just thought about what I'd seen. Yeah, we have, see, there are five young men who have survived quadruple amputation. And that in and of itself is like, they're there for, I mean, Brendan was there up to about five years. And because he had arm transplants at one point. And he said, uh, he wanted the arms taken off at first because they were so heavy. And you don't think about how heavy of your, are your arms if you don't have them for five years. He said, but the good thing is I have not fallen one time. Without arms, you fall a lot. You use them for balance. And, of course, the circul- you have no circulation. If you're a quadruple amputee, it doesn't have anywhere to go. Um, so uh, he had the, the arm transplant successful. I think probably some feeling in one arm because he had an elbow. The other arm may be too long to go to regenerate. Um, and then there was a group of 10 young men between 19 and 22, all triple amputees. They thought from Alabama. They thought they were in the North. And I thought, oh, honey, you don't know the North. Come where I live. You'll know the North end, right? <laughs> and they were like, you know, they all had um, GEDs, not one high school diploma among them. And I worried about what will happen to these young men, triple amputees. And then, you, I mean, some, some you worry about. There have been a couple that I've lost sleep over. And, of course, they never tell you how did that surgery work out. Is that young man able to speak again or not? Uh, so Walter Reed is an interesting experience, and you see what and, – and, and it really changed, Chris, from a lot of guys in rooms, and then once they got well enough, they went to Matchy to work out, to they're working out, they have outpatient, they have follow-up surgery, not as many guys in the room as our conflicts de- you know, differed and changed. We've been talking to Dot Sheehan, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
the White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, Dot Sheehan, founder, president, and CEO of the nonprofit Operation Hat Trick and the Trailblazer in college athletics and the sports marketing industry. Dot, we've been talking a lot about Operation Hat Trick, but let's talk about your amazing career. What drew you to sports marketing and why did you start your own firm? Well, boy, a lot in my life has happened by accident. I'm just like, well, how did that happen? I uh, worked in another college uh, at one time. I was uh, an instructor. And then I was part of a cooperative education program. And my son happened to go to a basketball camp there run by Robert Parrish. And he'd always bring his best friend, Clifford Ray, who played with him at Golden State. And um, I used to hide behind the bushes because Kevin was reticent and reluctant and all of that. And they used to watch him and they say, where's that kid going? Right. And he'd come into my office. Well, and then they'd come in and they'd start to talk to me. There was a company in New Hampshire called Salem Sportswear that was doing sportswear, like squish the fish and bury the bears. And they were doing all that without a license until they got a cease and desist. And then they became legitimate, right? And they wanted somebody to rep their T-shirt line. So I had no clue what I was doing, Chris, quite frankly. But put a <clears throat> an agreement together between Parrish and them. And there started my career. People said, you know, people long for a client you seem to have somebody who's interested in this so go for it and take it right so i said yeah i mean the interesting thing was i was in an age where um <clears throat> i was 40 years old at the time and i'm only 42 now so imagine that <laughs> uh, um and it's, so i wasn't a kid you know and to be a woman to do that you know there were some times where you say oh boy this is fun yeah the old boy network was alive and well 
So you've obviously seen a lot of changes in the sports marketing industry, as you put it, over the last two years. <laughs> what are the big differences between today and when you got started? And do you have any thoughts on what sports marketing is going to look like in five or 10 years? Yeah, a lot has happened. I was thinking about that. And I think on the athlete side or on the facility side, so much has changed. It's kind of like an arms race. I mean, let's just take college. You know, kids are pretty savvy today. They know what schools they want to go to, what kind of facilities they want, what kind of food they're going to eat. Uh, who the sideline provider is for that school. And those kids really know. And call, And I don't know where that's going to end because some of these facilities are magnificent. I mean, you take Texas A&M. That, I, I was invited into the president's suite. And I'm like, this is better than any pro suite I've ever seen. And then I'm with a guy who said, what do you mean? This looks just like my living room. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't know where you live, but it doesn't look like my living room. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that has changed a lot, I think. Kids, either they're being approached or looked at so much younger, whether they're committing or not. And sometimes they do. There's an awful lot of pressure for kids to do that. You'd like to say uh, that academics have to be uppermost in their mind. But a lot of kids, they make no bones about the fact that they are there because they want to play pro hockey or there because they want to go to the NFL or whatever. And we've seen in basketball where it was one and done for how long, right? And some still are like that. So then in another five to 10 years, I like the, the fact that there are opportunities for women now. It's much more diverse than it was, still has a long way to go. Uh, but, you know, when I first started out, there were very few women. And if you were there, you were questioned as to why you were there. And I got three pieces of advice from a mentor of mine who played for the Celtics. He worked at the NBA um, and um, first black coach, basketball coach at Harvard. And he said to me, Sheehan, three things. He either called me Hoss or Sheehan. Like, okay, how many women have you dealt with? And he said, you have to travel to be seen because I lived in Bedford, New Hampshire, right? He said, but watch out where you're seen. You could be out of business the next day, depending on where you're invited. He said, if you go to a practice, do not wear a skirt halfway up your butt. And he got into some real detail on that because the coach thinks you're trying to distract his players. And then assume that everybody thinks you're sleeping with those guys because they are. They haven't seen a woman doing what you're doing. Just move on, but be careful. I was so insulted. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? He was absolutely right. Absolutely I'm, right about it. I'm everything. insulted for you. Pardon me? I'm insulted for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but your point, he was absolutely right. And so I guess those were uh, some good life career lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I still, uh, this many years later, I'm still talking about it and thinking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You were also the senior associate athletics director for external relations at the University of New Hampshire for almost 20 years at a time when not many women were in positions of leadership in university athletic departments. How and why did you choose to take on that role? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I was still doing the consulting, and really a lot of my consulting was, was putting contracts together for professional athletes, whether it be a shoe contract or events or appearances or whatever. And um, But that was my own, and there wasn't much healthcare involved in that, right? So, And I was suddenly single. 
And um, I thought, oh boy, I need something that, you know, you know where you're going to get your paycheck from and all of that. So um, the University of New Hampshire had just built a nice hockey arena and they were selling sky boxes. It was between me and somebody from Houston. I'm like, okay, I'm local. So they hired me and I thought, well, I'll stay a year or so. And there you go. 20 years later, I was still there, right? <laughs> the rest is history. Yes, right. So obviously more and more fields have opened to women, but there are still hurdles to overcome in the workplace. Do you have any advice for young women who may aspire to a position or field, particularly sports marketing, that they may feel they can get into? Yeah. And, you know, kids used to say to me all the time because I used to mentor women a lot and they'd say, I don't know what I want to go into, but sports, you could be an accountant, you could be in finance, you could be on the legal side. There are all kinds of opportunities for men and women. I think it's opened up a great deal. Women have to be have to realize they have to be, and I know I'm old now, but you have to be professional. You have to be serious. You can be aggressive without being negatively aggressive. You can be assertive without being negatively assertive. I think, you know, in the last couple of years, a lot has changed for women in the way they are um, approached or not approached. So I think there is opportunity in sports marketing and any of the women we deal with, boy, we've got a couple of contracts now. Their directors of marketing are sensational, really good. You were one of the first female agents, but you never did player contracts and focused on marketing contracts. Why is that? Don't have a law degree. So I let the lawyers handle the contracts and I did not uh, invest any of their money. Uh, so it was safer that way. I knew marketing better. Of the three, I knew marketing best. The number 17, as in the shoe size 17, hmm. was the centerpiece of one chapter of your marketing career. What was that all about? Yeah. Well, you know, a shoe company, they very rarely like to have just one guy wearing their shoe. I mean, especially if it's large, that's a big mold. That costs a lot of money. So Vladi Divac was a size 17. He was playing for the Lakers, and he wore a black shoe. And um, he had, it was champion. And they wanted somebody on the East Coast who wore a black sneaker and uh, wore a 17. And that would have been Robert Parrish. So, you know, you get two guys like that. And then... The Dallas Cowboys were in the Super Bowl. I had the opportunity to put a shoe deal together for one of the players, size 17, black shoe. You know, there you go, right? So when I talked to this player, I said, do not tell anybody how much you're getting for this because nobody in the locker room is making that much. Okay, okay. The next day, somebody called me and said, Dot, did you see the LA Times? I'm like, what? Color. Full color picture in the LA Times of this guy's size 17 shoe. And he told everybody how much he made. <laughs> I'm sure Vladi and Parrish are real happy about that. Yeah, yeah. And the guys in the locker room. Uh, not happy. So speaking of the Dallas Cowboys, NFL Hall of Famer and former 49er and Cowboy, Charles Haley was our guest on last week's podcast. I understand that you and Charles crossed paths. And it also involved yeah, a marketing would, contract. Yeah, he would not remember it for a minute. But I'll never forget it, right? Yeah. I was in San Francisco and um, I was at practice. And afterward, I was a speaker about representation, athlete representation. And uh, Charles was one of those in that room. And quite frankly, I noticed him right away because he came in a little bit inappropriately dressed. And so that was kind of like, who is this guy? And sat there with his arms folded like, I dare you, lady. Okay. Afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, um, Charles has a contract that he, there are some fine details that he doesn't understand. 
and he would like you to explain those to him. So it quickly became, I became aware of the fact that he struggled reading that contract. And um, yeah, he was a trip. I was, it was really good to see him on, the, um, on your podcast. And he has a background that I'm glad that he feels that he's even. And, but yeah. yeah he, he, was one of, he was one of the more colorful uh, guests I've had on the show. Yes. No, yes. no question. And I say, I think he has a lot of the qualities of Dennis Rodman. And, and he'll admit he had some mental health issues and you made fun of enough. And the only way you know how to deal with it is speak people up. He was a bully and yep. he admitted it. Right. Yep. So as long as we're talking about Texas, we're going to talk about former president George W. Bush. You not only met president Bush, but you were invited to his ranch in Crawford, Texas because of your work with operation hat trick. He's known for giving people some colorful nicknames and he has a nickname for you, perhaps because of your colorful hair. How did you meet the 43rd president of the United States and where did things go from there? I would say he's my pal. He probably like, who is she again? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, at the George Bush Institute, they have a gift shop. And I saw some designs come across my desk one day for them. And there were like six or seven designs, camouflage, hats, whatever. So I called uh, our licensee and I said, what is this about? And they said, well, they're looking for some hats at the gift shop at the George Bush uh, Institute. And, um, and they're looking at these. But Laura Bush does not want to say yes to camouflage. It said the wrong thing to her. Although it was not hunting camo, it was military camo, she was afraid that maybe hunting camo would get in there, right? And so I said, well, let's try to get at least one design. Lo and behold, she approved it. And it became the bestseller in the gift shop, quite frankly. It was great. The American flag on the front had the hang tag that told about Nate and Mike and uh, the Navy SEALs and what Operation Hattrick was all about. And so I read where he was having a 100K bike ride and he does that, I think, every other year. And he does it usually with 43 uh, wounded warriors, some of them recalibrated, and they all ride bikes. He's a terrific bike rider. And so I, sa- I called and I said, we would like to donate hats. And they said, oh, can you do one that says Team 43 on it, which would be for the president and the warriors, and then another one for the gift shop and the, empl- and the volunteers. I said, sure, we can do that. And then they called back and they said, would you like to come to the ride? And I said, sure, where's the ride? They said, on this ranch. I said, I'll be there. When do you want me there? I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what it's like to get on the ranch. You can imagine what it's like to get on, right? And the Secret Service gave me a run for my money, probably because of the hair. And they said they needed to have the dog in the car, under the car, in the back seat, they were looking at my, and I'm with a board member. She said, I'm going in whether you like it or not. If you get stopped, that's too bad for you. I'm like, oh, my God. So they said, okay, so we've got the Dallas police here. They have some questions for you. I was like shaking in my boots. <laughs> and they were all giving me a hard time because of my hair. So when I come back tomorrow, you guys, none of this fancy stuff. So um, met the president. I thanked Laura Bush for the hat. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Laura. Did you approve of a camouflage hat for the store? She said, yes, I did. He said, well, that's okay. It's probably not selling, right? And I said, well, sir, it's the number one bestseller. He said, okay, New Hampshire. Suddenly, okay, I don't remember your name, but uh, I remember you're from New Hampshire. Uh, okay, New Hampshire. So that's selling better than mine. I said, yes, sir, it is. 
He said, oh, well, it's for a good cause. So that started a back and forth with the hair. Told me that he thought it was pretty bold. I said, does that mean you don't like it? And he said, I didn't say I didn't like it, but if I need to find you today, you should be easy to find. <laughs> you should be easy to find, right? And since then, you know, I've been a couple of times on the ranch and at uh, their Christmas party that they have every year for, you know, sponsors and so forth, because we belong to the um, George Bush Foundation. And we do that because they have a military services initiative that we believe in. And, um, and every time he'll look at me and he said, you know, I've been thinking, Maybe I'd like to do that to my hair. I said, Ooh, well, with all due respect, sir, you have to have a lot of hair. And he said, okay, New Hampshire, kick me while I'm down, right? So, I mean, we have this banter back and forth. And, um, you know, whatever you may have thought about him in office or whatever you think about him now, you know what? He treats our veterans like nobody else. And he said that first morning, 7.30 in the morning when he introduced everybody, he said, I knew what happened to you would happen to you. And it bothered Laura and I every single day. There isn't a day that we don't go by that we don't try to make your life better. And he got very emotional over it. I said, here's the former president of the United States being very truthful about how he feels. I mean, and he was just their pal at lunch. Oh, my gosh. I moved my, my seat so I wouldn't hear some of the stories they were telling, right? <laughs> <laughs> so despite your connection with George W. Bush, I always chuckle a little when you say that you love and hate all politicians alike. Is that important as the leader of a nonprofit organization, or is that just a personal philosophy that served you well? Well, certainly, you know, the board has a, a lot to say about what is our, what is the tenor of our organization. Uh, I will tell you, our first, our first um, donation came from Bill Clinton. No kidding. Yes. And um, there was some on the board who thought we should give that money back because they weren't pro Bill Clinton. I said, oh, wait a minute. He doesn't need a tax deduction that badly. And his money is as good as anybody else's, right? I mean, why wouldn't we take that money? So, and what he liked about it was that we had engaged young people. And he's got a memory that is like, wow. Um, of course, New Hampshire has first in the nation primary, right? And I happened to be at a local voting booth, uh, not last time when, his, when Hillary was running. And he was there holding court. And I walked by now, mind you, you can imagine, Chris, I had this green furry coat on. I didn't stand out at all, at all. <laughs> and he goes, hey, hey, you, don't I know you? I'm like, oh, here we go. And he said, wait a minute, I know you. Aren't you somebody who has an organization and you dedicated it to ones from around the university and I met you when I spoke with uh, President George H.W. Bush, and you dedicated something to Navy SEALs. I'm like, really? Oh. So then he started on the VA. It was a lesson in the VA. People are like, well, you really do know him. I said, not really, he, but he remembers me. It's a long time ago, and he remembers me. Unbelievable. So we just felt that, you know, to those that we want to serve, we don't care what party they are. We just want to help them. And so it does us more harm than good to take a side. So we just don't. Dot, you and I were talking last week about a mutual friend, inventor Dean Kamen. Yeah. You were sharing a couple of stories about the impact he had on two young men who were close to you, a war veteran quadriplegic and the son of one of your board members. That young man died of brain cancer in his teens. 
Dean is passionate about what he does. You're passionate about your cause. Next Steps Forward is about personal empowerment. How should someone go about finding the cause and the relationships in their lives to bring out their best and serve others? Yeah, sometimes people don't even think about it. Never would I have. And what I haven't told about this story is um, in 2007, (coughs) my own son got very ill. And he had Guillain-Barre, which is autoimmune neuromuscular. And he had it from the feet up to the neck. And then he had Miller-Fisher from the neck up. Uh, there were a couple of times when we didn't know if Kevin would survive or not. He got pneumonia and um, he was on vacation in uh, Phoenix. He lived in San Diego, had an eight week old baby. And I, I'm not overly religious, but I'll tell you, I found religion. And I promised that if Kevin survived, that I would do something good with my life. And he did. I mean, it was a long haul. I had to teach my own son how to crawl again and do all of that. But he did. And so this, I think, is why I did what I did with Operation Patrick. Uh, and, you know, that one radio broadcast, it just, it just got me, right? And uh, like I said, never in a million years would you think that this is the way it would turn out. Uh, a dean came and I'll tell you, really, we brought Travis Mills, too. And he was looking at the Luke arm, and Travis thought he wanted to know whether it was heavy. Because he's got a bionic arm on one side. And now if you put an arm, oh, is that going to be too heavy or not? And he doesn't have anything on the other side because he can't get it on by himself. And he'll be damned if he's going to ask anybody to help him, right? So he doesn't do that. So, but then the iBot was there, the wheelchair, right? Travis was like, do you take credit cards? Because I, I have my truck. I could put it in my truck today and just go up to Maine. Or I could pay in installments if that's what you'd like me to do. Then Dean puts him in it, and he must have been going like 40 miles an hour like we thought, oh, my God, he's going to crash this. <laughs> Just unbelievable. But Steve Hardy, Nate Hardy's father, was there. And the Hardy family lost Josh when he was 17 to brain cancer and then Nate when he was 29 in Iraq. And Steve said, you probably don't know this about me. You probably don't even know me. But you invented the portable chemotherapy machine, and my son was one of the first to take advantage of that at a children's hospital. So Dean was absolutely blown away by that. He is, uh, he's a genius, really, is what yes. he is. Yeah, yeah. No, no question. Right, yeah. And I would encourage people to find something in their life where they can do something good. You know, around Christmas, if we give money, people cry. I mean, the things we've given money for, what difference it makes to people and the impact. Like I, I didn't talk about Kent and Stacy. you know, we paid for experimental treatment that might just get him to contract his hands and his arms because he's blind in one eye. His esophagus has been burned. He's a quadriplegic. He is mentally aware. He's got four children. One has autism. One has uh, cerebral palsy. And he's got two others. His wife is like, really? Just got a home built by Gary Sinise Foundation, which makes it a lot easier. But she has said on air... If Kenton could commit suicide by himself today, he would do it, but he can't do it. Uh, So we were the only ones who stepped up and said, it's worth it to provide six months of treatment to see if there's going to be a difference. And we're not sure whether that did or not, but we sure gave it a good try. So as important as it is for us to be involved in causes bigger than ourselves, it's also possible for some folks to become consumed by such causes. How do you strike the right balance in your life? Or is balance overrated? I'm not sure I'm the good one to ask about balance. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've always worked too much, too hard, too long, but especially for this, there's somebody who needs the help, right? Uh, the good news is I live at the seacoast, so the ocean is across the street. That helps your mental state. My grandson and I every morning go on and we take a deep breath into the ocean air, right? Um, he happens to live next door to me, my nine-year-old grandson, and it is a gift and a blessing that I see him every day. So I've got to have some balance there. I think you need balance, especially with this COVID. I mean, it's affected all of us in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I need to do a better job with balance in some days. I'm not sure quite how to do that. I bet you say the same thing. Well, you're one of the few people I know that can get an email from at 6 a.m. in the morning and midnight that same day. So uh, I hear you, Dot. I, I'm not sure that's a positive. Some people would say, that's <laughs> It is crazy. in my world. Yeah, yeah. You and I uh, text or email at the earliest hours ever. Birds of a feather. Right. So, Dot, we have just a few minutes left. Usually with a nonprofit, it's pretty easy for people to figure out how to support the cause. But as we discussed, Operation Hattrick is different. How can folks support your cause? Now, you can go to operationhattrick.org, and there's a Donate Now button. You can give as much or as little as you want. We also You can also buy product. Uh, and under Shop Now, we don't carry inventory, so there are logos and links that link right to the product and where it is. Uh, anytime you buy product, we automatically get paid. There's a royalty built in. So you can do that either way. If you can't do either one of those, get involved with um, those that you can help. We've got a lot of young guys out there who need it. Mental health is really a huge issue. We do a fair amount with Vietnam guys because some of us are the Vietnam era and um, they didn't get much respect. And uh, so we feel pretty good about, you know, making some of them the la their last stop a little bit nicer. Well, I'll give you one more plug as someone who owns a lot of OHT gear, uh, American flag and Syracuse branded. It's phenomenal stuff. My entire family wears it. So I'll give you one more plug out there. It's just great stuff and, and obviously for a great cause. That's great. Thank you very much for the support. That's great. I know you said, yeah. Okay, so my son wanted this, and then my wife got involved. And then, okay, now the whole family wants them. <laughs> <laughs> that was our Christmas card one year to you. Yes, right. Exactly. So, Dot Sheehan, thank you so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at ChrisMeek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.